Anything Ghost, number 298. Welcome to Anything Ghost. My name is Lex Wall. Anything Ghost is a place where people share their personal paranormal experiences, aka true ghost stories, and I read them to you on the show. And I'm going to do something a little different in this episode, being that it's the slow period for ghost stories on Anything Ghost. The ever-popular Laura's Haunted Apartment story is reaching its 25th anniversary when it happened, so I'm going to read it myself this time, and I hope you all enjoy it. Anything Ghost, number 298. So we're in luck. I actually have two new stories for this episode. And the first one comes from Robert in Katy, Texas. Centerville, Indiana Haunting. Around 1997, we moved to Centerville, Indiana. We had a house with a pond on several acres. Once we moved in, I thought our ghost problems were over, but I was wrong. We lived here for less than two years, moving again, but I have a few stories I'd like to share. The first thing that happened was in the middle of the night. I woke up to hear knocking in the living room. The knocks came in threes every few minutes. I got up terrified and peeked down the hall toward the living room. The knocks grew louder and closer to me. I jumped back in bed. The knocking stayed in the hallway for several minutes, stopped, and then started again in the living room. I woke up my sister Lizzie. She heard the knocking but was too tired to care and went right back to sleep. I stayed up in bed for what seemed like a solid hour and the knocking continued. Eventually it stopped and I was so scared wondering how no one else heard or cared about the banging. I was finally able to go back to sleep. Each time I took a shower at night at that house, I got the feeling that someone was in the bathroom watching me. I would shower as fast as I could and get out. One night I got in the shower and got the same feeling as always. Then, all of a sudden, loud noises started coming from inside the linen closet. It sounded like our cat had got inside and was climbing the shelves trying to get out. I quickly rinsed the shampoo from my hair and jumped out of the shower to lift the cat out. I opened the closet. The towels, toiletries, and medicines had been tossed around everywhere, but no cat. I grabbed my towel and ran out of the bathroom as fast as I could. I told my mom what happened and showed her the mess. She shrugged it off and told me to clean everything up. Another time, I was sitting in my bedroom doing homework. I had a small handheld fan that was on my dresser. It randomly turned on and then fell off the dresser. During the summer one night, I was in the living room watching TV with my mom. 
We had a box fan on the living room that pointed at us. Randomly, it got really cold. My mom asked me to turn off the fan as she grabbed a blanket off the back of the couch. As you can tell by the use of the box fan that my parents liked to save money and didn't run the AC unless they had to. It was hot and in the middle of summer. You never had to grab a blanket with no AC running. I got up and turned the fan off. A few minutes later, the box fan suddenly turned itself back on full blast. I instantly freaked out. I went back over to the fan and completely unplugged it and ran back to the couch. I was waiting for my mom to say something, but she didn't say anything at all. I asked her, uh, didn't you see the fan turn on by itself? She said, well, there's probably something wrong with it. I said, how would a knob that I had just turned off turn on by itself? She responded, well, you unplugged it, so don't worry about it. One weekend, my parents went out of town and left us home alone. My sisters and I decided to be couch potatoes all Saturday. We watched show after show and movie after movie. The only time we got up was to grab some snacks or use the bathroom. My parents' room was attached to the living room. When my parents left that morning, they had shut off all the lights in the room and left their door open. That evening, in between movies, we all took a quick break. My sister Shauna went to the kitchen, my sister Lizzie went to her room to change into PJs, and I used the bathroom. I was the first one back and noticed the lights were on in my parents' bedroom. When my siblings got back, I asked them who left mom's and dad's lights on in their bedroom and the bathroom. Both of them denied having gone in there. I thought it was really strange and went to turn off their lights. As soon as I left their room, a wind chime my mom had in her room fell off the wall. I tried blaming one of our cats again and went back in to check. There were no cats anywhere. I left the room in a hurry and didn't dare touch the wind chime on the floor. Those are all the experiences I've had living in Centerville, Indiana. We moved to Katy, Texas shortly afterward, and the paranormal events continued. And the second story we have is from Sherry in Mississippi, Haunted Offices. Dear Lex, of course I would like to start with saying that I have loved this podcast since I discovered it about 2007 or so. My stories take place in two law offices in which I have worked. I believe they were haunted, albeit not on a grand scale, enough to confirm that there was something there. They were both old buildings. In regard to the one where I worked first, one of the older lawyers had died many years before while he was in court, so it was very sudden. The office was just down the road from the courthouse. In that office, there were large, heavy paintings that hung in various parts of the building. My co-worker and I were getting ready to leave for the day, and it was just the two of us there. 
we heard a loud crash and glass shattering in the back of the office. We froze because we knew we were the only ones there. We walked together to the back, thinking we were going to see a painting smashed on the floor, and just hoping that was all. But we never found anything. It was very loud and obvious, but nothing was there. We thought it may have been the other lawyer trying to get our attention for some reason. We were creeped out. We told the other lawyers the next day, but they didn't think anything of it, or they didn't express if they did. The Second Office The building, also old, was right across the street from the office I spoke of before. I had gone in on a Saturday morning to do some catch-up work, as we had just moved into the office recently, and that put me behind on my work. I had a cubicle at this office, and it was in the back part. It was drafty and cold in there, most of the time. I was working on a file and distinctly heard a boy's voice, a child, say, Hello. It was not far from me, but at the back of the building. I jumped because it completely took me off guard and startled me. I thought some kid had gotten in through the back door, as the office was close to a residential area. I walked slowly back there, but found it was still locked up tight with padlocks. I could not explain it. It was clearly audible. No mistaking, it was a child. I walked around some, but there was no one there. I don't know the history of that place, but there was a ghost there that day, if only in voice. Somehow it didn't frighten me enough to leave, but I was on alert the rest of that day. Those are my two office stories. Thank you for your amazing show. Please keep it up. We all look forward to it. And before I get into the last story, I want to make you aware of, if you're a new listener, that Anything Ghost has 16 years of ghost stories, 16 years of Halloween episodes, and 16 years of stories that I'm about to read to you next, about to read next. And you can get that complete archive by going to anythingghost.com and join VIP. There's a one-time membership fee, and you have the complete archive of Anything Ghost. And everyone who's joined has been very happy. And I think you will be too. Anythingghost.com, join VIP. As I spoke of in the beginning of this episode, I'm going to reread an old, very popular story that was in Anything Ghost episode number 42 in the year of 2007. The story is known as, to Anything Ghost fans as Laura's Haunted Apartment or Laura's Doppelganger. I've never received more email from a single story in the 16 years I've been doing Anything Ghost. And being that this event happened to Laura in the fall and winter of 1997, that marks the 25th anniversary of this event. And so I've decided that instead of replaying the original again, which I've done several times over the years, I would take a stab at rereading the story myself. So here is a different version of the very first popular Anything Ghost story. It originally ran in number 42, and I still get a lot of email from people in the Anything Goes VIP group wondering where they can find the story about the girl who was living alone in an apartment, got depressed, 
and began talking to a ghost, and on and on. I hope you enjoy this new version of Laura from San Francisco's Haunted Apartment. My name is Laura, and I'm from San Francisco. In 1997, I was living in Ithaca, New York, where my mother and my two half-brothers lived. I had been living with a good friend in a two-bedroom apartment, but our schedules didn't really overlap. In mid-September, I decided to find a new place to live. I wasn't making much money at that time, so I decided to move into a very small efficiency studio on the edge of town. It was in a large apartment complex that was probably built in the 1980s. It was a new, pretty shoddy construction, essentially built as low-income housing. My apartment was on the ground floor. It was basically a one large bedroom with a bathroom and a small closet-style kitchenette off to one side. At the back of the room was a large closet with a sliding mirror door. It wasn't great, but the price was right. I moved in on October 1st, 1997. At first, I really liked having my own space. I'd been living with my roommates for so long that I really enjoyed coming home to the solitude and the fact that there was no mess or dirty dishes because I'm sort of a neat freak. The only downsides to the apartment that I noticed right away were when I came home from work every day and walked in the door when the room had been shut up all day, there was a faintly sweet, sick odor. It was like rotting leaves or garbage. Since I'm a very clean person, this frustrated me. I knew there was no garbage and that all the surfaces were clean. I would open all the windows and burn scented candles, which dispelled the smell temporarily. But whenever I came home after being away for a few hours, it was back again. The other thing about the apartment that became more and more of a problem as October gave way to November was that it was very, very cold. I chalked that up to the fact that it was a cheaply built building. It had poor or no insulation, and the carpet was this thin indoor-outdoor type. The thing is that even in November, when the temperatures were beginning to fall, it was often warmer outside than it was in my apartment. I decided that was because a bad designer had placed the electric heater along the wall under the only window in the apartment which meant that all the heat was being sucked right out of the insulated window. Now this is where the story gets difficult to tell, and why I had to work up courage to tell it. As many, many of your listeners know, Paranormal events seem to happen at times when you are particularly sensitive to them. Between November and December, I began to feel more and more depressed and became more reclusive. This was not like me. I'm pretty outgoing. Though I do enjoy my solitude and my time alone, I like to read and write a lot. Family and friends have always been important to me. But during mid-November of that year... I began to feel a crushing depression. The thing is, I had a history of depression. When I was 15, I tried to take my own life, 
and had been in therapy for many years after that. When my moods and thoughts began to turn darker and more filled with despair, I really thought I was experiencing another round of a cycle of depression. I knew that eventually it would pass, so I would try to buckle down and endure this round of it. Around the end of November and the beginning of December, a couple of things happened that seemed strange at the time, but later made a lot of sense. First of all, I had been getting a lot of junk mail, but somehow the companies that were sending the mail had got my name wrong. The first name and middle initial were correct, and part of the last name was right. But the last name was slightly different than mine. I thought that somehow I must have ended up on one of those mass marketing lists somewhere, and they had just typed my name in wrong. The mailboxes for the whole apartment building were on an island in the middle of the parking lot out front. Whenever I walked out there to get my mail, I would wave to this perpetual group of teenagers that hung out in front of the building, gossiping and smoking. I remember thinking what jerks they were because whenever I walked out there, they got quiet and seemed to be waiting for me to leave. And when I left, I'd hear them whispering to each other. But teenagers are teenagers, so I shrugged it off. But it definitely added to the atmosphere of depression and isolation that was weighing more and more heavily on me. A similar thing to the junk mail was happening with telemarketers calling on my phone. This was before the federal no-call list. At least twice a week, I was getting calls for someone with my same first name and slightly different last name. The first two weeks of December, things got worse. My mother and I had had a falling out, and she wasn't speaking to me. I think it was over advice I had given my oldest half-brother that she had taken issue with. I spent all of my free time alone in my apartment, lying in bed and reading. I didn't have a TV. It was so cold that I used an electric blanket for heat, which worked better and cost less than the electric heat in my apartment. I was very down over the fight with my mother, but I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. When my friends came by, I ignored their knocks and pretended I wasn't home. I didn't answer the phone, and I didn't return anyone's calls if they left a message on my machine. That was when I had the first dream, if you can call it that. Even now, comparing it to all the dreams I've had in my life, it was definitely different. I was awake, but I was in that state between awake and asleep where you're still aware of your surroundings but aren't completely alert. And that was when I heard a woman say to me, I need your help. I thought to myself, I'm dreaming. Although I thought back to her, why do you need my help? She answered, I'm stuck here and I can't get out. I remember feeling very, very cold and the most intense kind of black unhappiness I have ever felt in my life. It was the bleakest sensation of being utterly alone and utterly devastated. 
I thought in my head again. But how can I help you? She answered, I need you to carry me. I need to attach myself to you so you can carry me out of this place. I can't do it on my own. Even in the half-dreaming state I was in, what she said scared the heck out of me. I knew in some part of me that it would be very bad to say yes to her. But another part of me believed that all of this was just my own imagination and a part of my depression. That I was slipping so far down this time that maybe part of myself was just appealing to me for help. That maybe I was just carrying on a conversation with my own psyche. That was when I decided to say, Yes, because I wanted to help myself. I thought back to the voice. All right, you can do it. I will help you. I slept through that night. When I woke up the next morning, it was snowing. I felt a strange sense of not really being connected with myself. Like I was watching myself get up and make coffee, wash my face, etc. I think it was Sunday. I remember I didn't have to work that day. And this is when the story gets really strange and frightens me even now. For some reason, after I drank my coffee, I went to my closet and got out a pile of clean white sheets. I had about five or six of them. Standing on a chair, I tacked them to the ceiling with pushpins so that they hung down around my room, sort of like an artificial wall made out of white sheets. I put them at right angles to each other so they formed a kind of tunnel that went from my bed to the front door. Even now, I have no idea what possessed me to do this. It was so completely weird that it's embarrassing to admit even now. After I tacked up the sheets, I crawled into bed with a box of cookies. I knew then that I was going to kill myself. The idea just came to me all of a sudden, as if it was the obvious solution or a very simple thing that I needed to do. Just then, my phone rang, and the answering machine picked up. It was my mother. She said, Honey, please call me. I'm sorry. I'm worried about you. I sat and looked at the phone for a long time, and then picked it up, and then put it back down. I got up and got the phone book, and looked up a suicide prevention hotline and called. I talked to the woman on the other end for about an hour. I didn't tell her about all the weird things that had happened. I really thought that I was losing it, that I had gone crazy. I just wanted to hear the sound of a voice that was not judging me, somebody who didn't know me. After she talked to me for about an hour, she gave me the number of a local sliding scale counseling center and made me give her my word that I would call them as soon as I hung up with her. I did. I made an appointment to see someone the next day. The rest of the day was very difficult for me. I tried to distract myself by cleaning the apartment. 
While doing so, I discovered something that really scared me. All along the edges of the windows and on parts of the mirrored closet door, I discovered a kind of black mold that had begun to grow. I thought at first it was just discolorations on the mirror and the wood that framed the windows. But when I looked closer, I realized it had this circular spattered pattern of mold. I have a biology degree, so I knew that it was mold, but I had never seen this kind before. I went to the counseling session the next day, and the woman I spoke to said that she wanted me to work with her twice a week, as long as we needed. I began to tell her about the troubles and the deep secrets that I'd been carrying around with me for years. I was put on antidepressant medication. Within a few weeks, I was starting to feel better. The atmosphere of my apartment was still bad. I noticed the smell. But I took down the weird sheets and started spending more time with my friends. My mom and I patched things up. I began to believe that all the strange events, my strange behavior, my experience with the woman's voice who asked me to help her, had been symptoms of my depression. I was slowly rising back out of the paralysis I had felt. In January, I was on my way across the parking lot of my apartment one afternoon when the property manager, who was standing on her balcony on the second floor, called out to me and waved me over. We introduced ourselves to each other, and when I told her my name, she looked at me startled. 
She asked me a few questions, whether I was happy in the apartment or not. I told her I, it was okay, but it was cold and it was a little bit lonely. She said, can I ask you a more personal question? I felt a little strange, but I said, why not? Yes, I said. She said, do you notice anything strange about your apartment, like a funny smell or anything like that? I have to say that at that moment, I felt that strange feeling when the hair on the back of your neck stands up. I knew that she was about to tell me something that I both wanted and did not want to hear. I told her yes, that I did sometimes notice a funny smell, but I kept things very clean and burned candles, and that it wasn't too bad. Just when I get home is when I really notice it. That's good, she said. Just let me know if you need anything. Then she asked me my name again. I told her. And she said something like, That's what I thought you said. But I thought I didn't hear you right. I knew there was something the woman wasn't telling me. For the next month, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking about that interaction. And I decided that if I ran into her again, I would ask her for more details. On Valentine's Day that year, my dad and stepmother, who live in California, sent me a flower bouquet. They knew I didn't have a boyfriend and they were just being sweet because they knew I had been down. Since it came to me in the afternoon when I was at work, it was delivered to my upstairs neighbor, whom I never met. Shortly after I came home from work, there was a knock on my front door. When I answered it, there was a man in his forties standing there holding the bouquet of flowers in a vase. Are you Laura? he asked. Yes, I said. He gave me the strangest look and then said, These came for you today. I took the flowers, but when I went to thank him, he turned away and almost bolted up the stairs. He looked like he'd seen a ghost. It was either the next day or a couple of days later, when I was leaving my apartment, a little girl who lived in the apartment complex was riding by my door on her big wheel. Since my door was open, she stopped and looked inside. She was about five or six years old. Hi, I said. You can come in if you want. She seemed very curious about the inside of my apartment, but she shook her head and started backing away from the door, pushing with her feet to move the big wheel backward. I went outside and was locking my door behind me, and she was still sitting there on her big wheel. Then she said, Did you know that lady that died? I said, What? She said, The lady that died, and she pointed at my apartment. A lady died there? I said. She nodded. I squatted down so that I was eye level with her. When did this happen? I said but she didn't answer. She looked pretty scared. That's okay, I said. Bye-bye. I'll see you later. I went directly upstairs and knocked on the property manager's door. Look, I said, I'm sorry to bother you, but I need to ask you a question. She looked at me like she knew what I was going to say. A little girl just told me that a woman died in my apartment. Is that true? 
She looked at me for a few seconds, and then she nodded. I didn't want to say anything to you, she said. The rental agency said I shouldn't say anything. What happened? I said. She committed suicide, she answered. When? I asked. The day after Princess Diana died. I guess she was a huge fan of Princess Diana, and they think her death had something to do with it. Princess Diana died on August 31st, 1997, which was exactly a month before I moved in. The woman went on to tell me that the woman who committed suicide in my apartment was a recluse. She almost never came out of her apartment except to go shopping or when she had to. So, they didn't find her body at first. It was the upstairs neighbors that started to notice a bad smell about two weeks later. And that's when they opened the door and found her. The woman told me the following. She said it was really bad. She'd been decomposing for two weeks. And the weirdest thing I've ever seen. There was black mold growing all over everything. The walls and the mirrors. They had to throw everything of hers away because it was covered in black mold. Honestly, I was feeling right then the way you probably feel right now listening to this. There is no way this could really be true. I had had to have been making this up, but I'm not. Still, some part of me, even with everything I had been through, didn't believe her. So here's what I did. I went to the Tompkins County Library and looked up the obituaries on microfiche for September of 1997. I found her obituary. She was a writer from California. I'm from California, and I'm a writer. She was 20 years older than me, and her first name, middle, and last initial were the same as mine. With a photocopy of the obituary in my hand, I went to the rental agency's office. I asked her if it was true. She admitted that it was. I asked her why or how she could possibly, in good conscience, have rented an apartment to me when I had almost the exact name as the woman who had committed suicide in the apartment only one month before I moved in. She didn't have a good answer, but she was very apologetic and offered to let me move into a different unit right next door. I did, but one month later, I moved out of that apartment complex entirely. I didn't feel a single wall between the two apartments was enough to really make any difference. I still don't really understand what happened to me. The circumstances of what happened were so intimately tied up in my own mental state and life that it's impossible for me to believe that this could really have happened to anyone else. It was as if I was meant to move into that apartment. But I'm not a person who simply believes things. Facts have to support the feelings. In this case, the facts are what made what I thought was a severe bout with depression into something I could have no other way to describe as paranormal. I realize this is a very long story. I hope you can share it with your listeners. If you have any doubt as to its truthfulness, I have a copy of Laura's obituary and I'm happy to scan it and send it to you. Thanks, Lex, and keep up with the podcast. It's great.
And that's it for Anything Ghost number 298. Hope you enjoyed it. And I'm putting together 299. We're getting near 300 here. So if you have a story you want to share, send it to Lex at anythingghost.com. Or you can fill out the form at anythingghost.com. Record it yourself or write it up and I'll read it for you. Okay, everybody. Have yourself a wonderful holiday time coming up. And until we meet again, take care.